Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. It is kickoff uh, Sunday, and uh, it is so true. We just are so thankful for those who serve. And if you haven't found a place to serve, there's a place waiting just uh, for you. So we want to say good morning to everyone. It really, really is good to see you here this morning. And for those who are new among us, uh, my name is Donald, and uh, I'm one of the pastors. Hey, I have a question for you. If I was to ask you this question, how would you answer it? If I said, what is it that's a big deal to you. How would you answer that? Like, what is a big deal? You know, maybe some of you might say, well, uh, I asked a girl on a date this week and she said yes. It's a big deal because the other 10 said no. So it's a big deal. Uh, maybe some of you might say, well, you know what? We, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and it was a big deal because the first couple of years were rough and we didn't know if we'd make it. And here we are celebrating our silver anniversary. It's a big deal. Uh, I just had friends actually last month celebrate their 70th wedding anniversary. That's a, that's a big deal. Um, from my hometown, my hometown boy, Sidney Crosby, I remember when he signed his contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he had signed for $101 million for 12 years of hockey. And I used to think, man, that is such a big, big deal. And then I started checking into some other sports figures. And I looked up Ioannis uh, Sepidis, uh, the Cuban outfielder who plays for the New York Mets. Well, he signed a contract for $110 million for only four years. I mean, I, it's crazy. But what a big deal it was. And then the Florida Marlins, uh, Stanton, is being paid $325 million for 13 years. That's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And then NBA superstar Steph Curry this summer just signed an incredible contract with the Golden State Warriors. He signed a $201 million for five years. That is a huge deal. In fact, they say in the next 12 months, he'll make $80 million with his endorsements as well. But then just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, Neymar Stantis, superstar soccer player, 25-year-old Brazilian, is signed for the Paris Saint-Germain team. And they had to buy out his contract, so they paid his old team $263 million just to get him. Then they're paying him $350 million for the next five years. They paid $600 million for a 25-year-old Brazilian to play on their soccer team. That's insane! It was a big, big deal. And every time Apple brings out a new product, it's always a big deal. Uh, I know, I think it's this week. I think this week the iPhone 8 is supposed to be unveiled. And, and you know what? There's going to be thousands of people lined up the day before to just to get that product, even though they don't even know what's going to be on it yet. There's such an excitement. And, and it's a big, big deal. In fact, you know, for those who maybe are on the younger side, I, I'm going to ask you today, maybe during church or this week, uh, hashtag, let's wave all these hashtags up there, hashtag something that's a big deal to you. Like, you know, maybe we made it through our first year of marriage, hashtag big deal. Uh, it looks like I may graduate, I'm in grade 12, big deal. You know, put something that is a big deal. How many people don't know what I mean by hashtag? 
Okay, I see some people just putting their hands up like that. Listen, we want you to be a part. So you ask your grandchildren how to do that, okay? So you can be a part of what we're doing when I say hashtag big deal. Every one of those things that I've talked about, it really is, it's a big, big deal. But I wanna tell you something. That my church, your church, our church, the church is a really, really big deal. In fact, it's the biggest deal going on. Now, I already know some of you are already saying quietly in your mind, (laughs) yeah, okay, right, a big deal, Donald. I guess you have to say that because you're a pastor. No, I don't say that because I'm a pastor. I say that because it's absolutely true. And this morning, my goal is that you would walk out of here a little more fired up, a little more stirred up about what the local church is up to. About 15 years ago, I heard a statement that really put everything in perspective for me as a pastor. Um, Bill Hybels, you may have heard of him, pastors a small local church in Chicago, about 25,000 on a Sunday morning. And um, he made this uh, statement and I've never forgot it. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. And I I was trying to let that sink in, that the church is the hope of the world. And I'm not too sure everyone believes that, that the church would be the hope of the world. And this morning, my goal is this morning on this kickoff Sunday, that you would be able to see the church for what it really is, the local church. It's beautiful, it's majestic, it's grand, it's magnificent, it's marvelous, it's mind-blowing. And when motivated, It's unstoppable. It's out of this world. It's ambitious. It's big dreaming. It's purpose-driven. It's life-giving. And I want you to know this morning that my church, your church, our church, the church is a really big deal. And by the way, that is not an arrogant statement. Jesus himself even said that the gates of hell cannot stand against it. The church is a really really big deal. Now I understand that if you were to look down your street, there would be a lot of people who would say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You look around your cul-de-sac, you hike around your neighborhood, you drive through your community, it's quite obvious to most people, the church is not really that big of a deal. You know, for some, the church is simply an extracurricular activity, something you do when grandma and grandpa shows up, something that you do when aunt or Uncle Bert and Aunt Sally happen to show up for the weekend, you go to church. You know, something when there's nothing else to do, you go. Or, or maybe, you're, you know, some would go just on holidays. We would have people that would be part of our church that would come on holidays, Christmas and Easter. And we can talk about them today because they're not here, okay? <laughs> then there would be those who, you know, would go to church. They'd go every week and it's more like a country club for, for Christians, you know, a place to, to network a place where there's people just like them who dress like them and think like them and smell like them and do things just like them and dress like them, a place for people just like them. And then there would be those churches who would kind of organize themselves in such a way that everybody is happy, catering to every single person's need. Those are the kind of churches oftentimes people will get a little offended if you sit in their seat. I actually, I actually heard this with my own ears. A gentleman uh, say to me, somebody is sitting in my seat. 
I said, well, there's lots of seats to choose from. No, but he's sitting in my seat. And I've been coming here a long time. I've paid my dues. I think I should have some preferential treatment. Don't you think? (sighs) Let me tell you, we certainly do not want to dishonor the people who have brought us this far, who have been here year after year, week in and week out. You have given so much, you have volunteered so much. You know, I, I look around here and I, and I see people like Mary Lucemore. I mean, she's been here for almost like 74 years doing stuff for the church. Or, or Ed Grant, one of our ushers back there, has been here for I think 73, 74 years. I think of uh, Nancy and Gilbert Broad. I think they were born here in the church and they, and they continue to serve. And people like Alex and Marie McLean. I mean, ushering for 62 years. And, and I could literally go up and down these aisles and identify so many of you who have prayed and given financially and served faithfully fully we honor you we esteem you and we will never put you aside but let me tell you the church is bigger than just looking after those who come here week after week we have a city who is far from God they don't know that there's an amazing God who loves them They don't know that there's this life-giving, life-transforming grace of God that is offered to all. Way too many people think you have to clean up your act. Church is for the good people. We need to dispel that myth. No, church is for those who have failed and flawed and have messed up their lives. You know, growing up, in a Christian home and being a pastor for over 28 years, I, I have visited a, a lot of churches. And when you're around a, a church all your life, it is very easy to take the church for granted. It, ah, it's just church. It's not really that big of a deal. It doesn't really affect me if I miss one or two weeks or, or a month or two. It's because it's, it's not really that big of a deal. Let me tell you, when you are part of a local church, you are part of something bigger than just you and me. You know, sometimes when I'm in my car, I'll turn up the radio or turn up the CD and I sing like I am a country rock star. And, you know, and I'm just grooving to the music and people drive by and I know they think I'm having a seizure. I've said times in the past, I've come here late at night and sometimes I'll sit at that piano and I'll sing and I will sing like I'm a final contestant on America's Got Idol, or America's Got Idol, America's Got Talent. I mean, I let it rip. Why is it so easy to act like I'm a part of something bigger than I am when actually I am part of something that I don't have to just act it? I am part of something that's bigger than you and me. It's the church. What holds us back from acting the same way with the church? Why is it we don't just let it rip when it comes to church. Let me tell you, we serve a big, a big, a big God. It's not just church. To say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. To say, ah, it's just church. Do we not do God a disservice when we treat church that way? Because it's very important to him. You know, it really is no wonder that churches all through Europe and church here in the West, so many churches, I mean, there are thousands of churches that are empty 
of young people. Not because they don't have truth being proclaimed from the pulpit. Not because there's not good music. Not because there's not good facilities. It's because so many churches have lost the passion about the church. We've lost the grandeur, the beauty of the local church, which is what the church was to be from the very beginning. Too many Christians, too many churches treat the church as something that is small and insignificant and marginalized. That is not what Jesus, by the way, had in mind when he found himself hanging on the cross for your sin and for my sin. God is huge. And he is worthy of our very best that we can give him. He is worthy of all of our planning, all of our effort, all of our strategy, all of our thought. He's worthy of it all because he's God. And with that, would you now take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16 or your phone or whatever electronic device you may have. Matthew chapter 16. And the passage of scripture that we're gonna look at this morning is very, very controversial that we're gonna be looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 16. Lots of different interpretations as to what this possibly could mean. Matthew chapter 16. And we're gonna pick it up in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or or at least one of the prophets. Uh, Then Jesus gets a little more personal, a little more direct. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your gift of the church. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word for just the next few minutes, I pray, Lord, that you would breathe into us the grandeur, the beauty of the local church that you have set up. Lord, we pray that we would see Christ this morning in all of your beauty and grandeur. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The question that is asked that is so controversial is, well, who's the rock? Who's the the church going to be built on? Uh, Catholic tradition would say it's Peter, Petros, a rock, and that Jesus said, Peter, you, we're going to build the church on you. That's one interpretation. Um, And it's true, Peter was a very important part of the beginning of the church, no doubt about that. Uh, The Protestant view is that Jesus, when he's speaking here, is saying, Peter, Petros, you, you little rock, you are a little rock, 
But on this rock, this big rock, Jesus is referring to himself, he says, I am going to build the church. And that's very true because Jesus is the foundation, he's the cornerstone of the church. Another possible meaning is that the rock is a reference to the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. Built on the truth, Peter, that you have just said that I am the Son of the living God. On that truth, the church is gonna be built. Let me give you a little historical background information so you can see another possible meaning to this phrase. It doesn't replace all the other meanings. It, I think it enhances, maybe enlarges the other meanings. It says here in the scripture that Jesus, okay, was going, was in the district of Caesarea Philippi. Let me tell you, no good Jew goes to Caesarea Philippi. If you are a Jew caught in Caesarea Philippi, you can be guaranteed you're gonna be on the front cover of the Jewish Inquirer because nobody that's a Jew goes to Caesarea Philippi. This is a hotbed for idolatry. Every imaginable God that you can think of is in Caesarea Philippi. It is a smorgasbord of options to worship. In fact, the famous Pan Temple was in Caesarea. Pan, the god Pan was the god of fertility. And uh, in that uh, temple, oftentimes there would be the practicing of sexual uh, pleasures as part of their worship. I don't know if you've ever, ever uh, felt really, really dirty before. I, um, a while ago, I, I played mud volleyball where it's like you're eight inches in mud and you're trying to play volleyball and then after there's this mud obstacle course. Like you're really dirty and they hose you down just to get the first layer of dirt off of you. I don't know if you've ever felt or remember being dirty before. Well, Caesarea Philippi would be a place that Jews would feel really, really dirty. They would feel really yucky to be found in, a, in such a place. I don't know if you've ever been in a place you, you kind of felt dirty. Well, Caesarea Philippi was that kind of a place. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to cycle uh, through Europe uh, with five guys. And one of the guys actually is Pastor Glenn. Uh, he was uh, one of the guys that we cycled through and we found ourselves arriving in um, Holland. We were in Amsterdam, Holland. And, and I still remember we were driving our bikes and we, we, we stopped by the house of Anne Frank. If you're familiar with that story, a young Jewish girl who, who's, um, they're hiding during World War II to protect her. And I remember driving by that house and just thinking, man, the history that has taken place here. And then we were driving and uh, riding our bikes and we're in other historical sites. And out of nowhere, I, we didn't even realize, we just took a left-hand turn. And before I knew it, we had driven into what they call the red light district. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. I wasn't. And, and I drove in there and I was like, <laughs> I just remember, uh, you know, there was like, there was a just storefronts and all these, there were prostitutes all in the windows and you could just purchase them. And I remember thinking to myself, keep your eyes down, keep your eyes down, just go, 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 get out of this place. I actually remember feeling like dirty, just being there. You know, oftentimes Vegas will be referred to as Sin City. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, Caesarea Philippi is the first original sin city. What happens in Caesarea Philippi stays in Caesarea 
Philippi. And yet here is Jesus. Now imagine this, Jesus, the righteous one, the holy one, God's son, leading his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. What in the world would Jesus be doing taking his Jewish followers to Caesarea Philippi? I mean, it would have been a cesspool. And when I first read it, it it just doesn't make sense to me. Jesus, why are you taking your disciples to Caesarea? And then when he's in the district of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asks them, with all the temples, as far as you could see, with all the gods that are around, he asked the question, who do people say that I am? Am I just one of the many gods that you see? Am I just one of the many places of the temples that you come to worship? Am I just one of them? He says, who, what's the talk? What are they saying on the streets about me? And some of his disciples spoke up and they said, well, some believe you're John the Baptist. And, and everyone knows we Jews love John the Baptist. I mean, he was beheaded and they, they think that maybe you've come back to life. And some say you're, you're Jeremiah, the prophet that has come back. Some say maybe even Elijah, maybe Elijah has come back. And others are saying other prophets. So there's a lot of chatter as to who Jesus is. But then Jesus asks his disciples, okay, that's what people are saying, but let's get a little more personal. Because by this time, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples almost three years. And for some, they're still trying to figure out who he is. And then Jesus says, but, but who do you say? Like, who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you're the, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that was not revealed to you by yourself. His God, the Father, has revealed that to you. And, and, as, and as I was reading through this, then Jesus, it's like, he's, and I am gonna build my church and it's going to be big and it's gonna take you to some very nasty places in this world because the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. It's a big deal, my friend. Church is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's invasive and it will go to some of the darkest places in this world to offer hope. The church is to be alive and to be active, so alive, so active that, the, that hell can't stand against it. Well, what are gates for? It says the gates of hell. Gates are to keep people in and to keep people out. Who has the gates? It's hell who has the gates. And it says that the church is on the offensive. They are on the attack. That, my friend, is why we can be so bold as a church. That's why we can dream big. That's why we can have a big vision for our city and for this world. We serve a big God. 
Not a God that you put in your box. Let me tell you, I, I, I grew up in a great Christian home and a great church and I used to think that I, God was so big and I, but I still had him in my box. And then as my faith would grow, my box would grow. And then as my faith grew more, my box got bigger. And then finally I just realized I can't contain God in a box. He's too big. And the church, my friend, is a big deal. And I believe that we need to take the church, the people, outside of these four walls so people can really see what the church is. It's not bricks, it's not mortars, it's the people. The church is a big deal. And that's why we stand up here and we can be bold to ask you to volunteer, to be a part of something that is much bigger than you, to be part of something that is the hope of the world our churches across the city. We need to be reminded of the grandeur and the beauty of the church. We need to be reminded that the church is the hope of the world. I love serving of this church. I've been here one year. I love serving of this church. It just seems like week after week after week, there's always people with questions about God. Always interested, trying to figure out who, who God is. And God can answer those questions. What we do with something really shows to us what's a big deal to us. You know, for some of us, you know, we love our homes and that's great, you know, and we take pride in it and, you know, we make sure it looks nice and we work on the outside landscaping because, you know, we love it. It's a big deal. We're, we're homeowners. And some of you have hobbies and it's a big deal. You love it. Some of you love boating or, or golfing. It, it, it's great. You really, really enjoy it. And the things that you, you love and value, you never find in your garage sale, right? That's just not gonna happen, because you value it. I can remember, I remember the day my brother-in-law, I was with my brother-in-law, the day he bought my sister's engagement ring. And he was at the ATM machine, and he, he, he'd been getting out money for days. Back then, you could only max out, you know, like 500 a day, and all of a sudden the water was getting bit, but it was the final day. And there was such a wad of money. And went to the, um, to the store to buy the engagement ring. And it was such a big deal because it was like his life savings was gone as a college student. And, and we bought the ring and I can still remember going back to the hotel. He was saying, look at it from over here. Look how it shines. And then I would grab it. I said, oh, but Stephen, look at it under this light. It's really amazing. Like it was such a big deal. They had bought this engagement ring and we, didn't, we weren't gonna let it out of our sight. Well, let me tell you, when Jesus came, he brought something very, very special. He brought life, he brought meaning, he brought purpose, he brought forgiveness, he brought direction, he, bought a, he brought a grace that is far greater than any of our sin. Imagine that. He brings to us a grace that reaches farther than our sin. Our, we know our sin reaches far, but his grace always reaches farther. So what's gonna cause the church to grow is what you and I do with it. So that's why I challenge you here this morning. Order your life around it. Invite people to it because it's a big deal. And I actually believe, I, I really believe if we neglect it, I, I really believe there's oftentimes just consequences 
to neglecting what God really values so much. And that's why I've said before, that's why we can stand up here and be bold and ask you to serve, to be part of, the, say, the parking lot team or the greeters or, or the ushers or, or the children's workers or a youth worker or be part of the band or work in seniors ministry or women's ministry or men's ministry. Be part of the prayer team. Like, uh, get involved in missions, local missions or global missions. We can stand up here and be bold because we really believe that the church is the hope of the world. Something that's bigger than you and I. And how awesome it is to be a part of that. But until we value what God values, we may never really understand the heart of God or the call that God has on us as a local church. We become very passionate about the things that we value. I don't know what you value in your life. As I said, some of you may value your boats, and that's awesome. You like to shine in the boat, you like to go out on the water, fantastic. Some of you value cards, you like collecting cards, you like to make sure they sparkle, awesome. Awesome, nothing wrong with that. What you value is what you'll take care of. It's what you will protect. And if we are serious about God-sized stuff, we'll value what God values. We'll get serious about it. And I think God says the church is a big deal. A big deal. Helen Keller was asked a question by a reporter one day. They said, Helen, what is worse than being blind? This was her response. She said, having eyesight with no vision. What's your vision? What's your vision of what the church could be? What's your vision for your marriage? What's your vision for your children? What's your vision for your life? Like where are you going? Where are you headed? I think you need to gear up your life so that the rest of your life can be the best years of your life. Why would we settle for anything less but a God-sized vision? I know men, we have a tendency toward this that you know, we sometimes can have great vision for our jobs, great vision for our careers. Our companies will send us to conferences so we can get a better vision for our company. And we have great visions for our bank accounts. But what's our vision for the church in a city that is desperate to know that someone loves them? That there's a God who offers a grace that is so scandalous that it doesn't even make sense. Why have we not been able to grab hold of the vision for the church? With no vision, people will perish. With no vision, people become insecure and they will perish. How many of you here this morning would say, yeah, I believe God created the world. I'd say probably the vast majority of us would say that. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that Jesus died on the the cross and that three days later he was raised. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, was sinless. 
I believe that this book right here was penned by men but inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by God Almighty, that it's flawless, it is the flawless word of God. And for those of us who believe that, we believe in almost an unbelievable theology. And if we believe in a God that is the creator of the world, if we believe that be so true, let us not have such a small value on what God values day after day. I mean, how can we believe that God holds the world in his hands but can't save my marriage? How can we believe in a God who's so powerful but can't, can't rescue my son? who's a drug addict. Let me tell you, the church is a big deal. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And he is serious about us leading people to the cross. Like he's serious about us connecting people to Jesus. Let's not let the world see what is not true, that God and the church is not a big deal. It is a big deal. Listen, God lives within you and he lives within me and we have been brought from death to life and my friend, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. We were once dead, but now we're made alive. That's a big deal. Christ is the groom, the church is the bride. So let's not disc. God's bride by sitting around and doing nothing. That's why I want to encourage you, mop the floor, get, uh, shake someone's hand at the door, turn the lights on the morning, perk the coffee for people in the morning, uh, be a part of being a life changer. I believe God wants you to value what he values and I tell you, God values the church. So I want to challenge you, get active. Get mobilized and let's, let's break through these walls and let this city of Sarnia know there is a God who is very much alive, a God who offers a grace that is unbelievable, that radically changes people's lives. My friend, that is something that we can get excited about, that that's the God that we serve. And he says, the church, when you are on the offensive, even your worst enemy, even the gate of hell will not stand up against you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, very thankful that you are the one, that you are the one who's the foundation of the church, the cornerstone. Lord, where would we be without you today? Where would we be? Lord, I'm so thankful for this local church of believers. I'm thankful, Lord, that there are people among us that genuinely have eyes for this city. In fact, we've just seen it over the last couple of months. We, we've seen us have almost 900 kids here. So many, not from families of faith, and we've seen young children give their lives to Jesus. 
Lord, we, we've seen the needs of our city and we open our doors and we have events like clothing drive and, and feed people. Lord, we, we, we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's amazing, it's amazing to be a part of something that is so much bigger than us. But Lord, that's just, I believe just the tip of the iceberg. God, I believe you have some great things in store for us. We have been celebrating and we continue to celebrate the fact that we have 80 years of very rich, rich history. But God, we believe the best days are yet to come. And Lord, in a city where tens of thousands of people walk on this street and don't know the name of Jesus, we have a job. We have a job. And so Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to be able to see the beauty, the grandeur, the majesty of the church and what you have called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.